morning. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Apex United Methodist Church. My name is Laura Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a privilege to welcome you to this service of worship. If you're a guest with us, we're so happy that you have chosen to come and worship with us today. We hope and pray that you will experience the power of Christ in a very real way today. I invite you to pick up your fellowship pads and pass them down. And if you are a guest with us, there's a a guest form in there that we invite you to fill out and you can take it to the welcome desk in Crossroads and we'd love to answer any questions you have about our church. I want to share a few announcements with you. If you turn to the very back of your bulletin, there are two particular announcements that I'd like to highlight. The first one is the um, second from the bottom. It's about Semillas de Unidad or Seeds of Unity and this is a wonderful ministry that we host here in partnership with our Spanish-speaking congregation, Fiesta de Cristiana. Um, this is a tutoring ministry where um, tutors work one-on-one with children. Some come from um, our Fiesta congregation, others come from the community. Um, and our tutoring happens Monday nights and Wednesday nights at 5.30. You can pick one of the nights, you can come both of the nights, you can sign up to just be a substitute and serve as needed. You do not need to be bilingual. Um, There are um, translators there if needed. But this is a wonderful opportunity to build relationships with really beautiful kids, um, to help them uh, thrive in their education and also to to partner um, with God in the work of the kingdom that we are doing here at Apex. Some of the things that tutors have said in their experience with Samias is that it has changed their life. Getting to know um, these kids has literally changed their heart in the best way possible. One tutor said, I'm a better person because I met my student, because our paths crossed, because we learned from each other, because we helped each other. My life has been enriched. So know that as you consider tutoring in this capacity, serving in this ministry, not only will you bless the life of another, you will also meet God in a very real way. We really encourage you to consider signing up to tutor this fall. In the Crossroads area, back underneath the window, is a table where um, Cindy Jackson, Sally Williford, Jim Williford, Phyllis Sams, and Janet Pies will all be, and they'd be happy to talk with you about their experience to get you signed up if you're feeling called to this ministry. And I think they have candy there. So if you're hungry after the service and you want a little snack before lunch, Check them out, and they'd love to meet with you. The second announcement I want to share is that today we will be beginning our our two-week-long hosting of Family Promise Families. Family Promise is an interfaith ministry in Wake County that works with families who are temporarily without or between permanent housing. And so we have the privilege of being a host, of offering gracious hospitality to folks who are going through a tough time in their life. Um, They will be here for two weeks, staying in our Christian Life Center. This will be their home. We will um, share meals with them, and we will offer the love of Christ with them. Um, We are currently hosting, we will be receiving four families, potentially five families, um, with several adults and many more children, ages um, 10 months or six months to 10 years of age. And so I invite you to keep these families in your prayers this week. Also keep all those who will be serving in your prayers. And um, 
I talked with Pam Keenan earlier. If you look, the first announcement under Serve All is her contact information. And she said that we still need several overnight hosts, both men and women, um, to stay here and be a host on site. Um, and we also need someone who can cook dinner um, on Friday night. And so if you are able and feel called to serve in that capacity, I invite you to contact Pam Keenan. But before we begin our worship, let us pray for our family promised families and all who will be serving. Let us pray. Oh God, we come before you as your people, lifting up these four to five families and their children who will be with us this week. May we um, offer your gracious hospitality, your loving kindness. May we be inspired by these families as we serve with them. And may you bless them on their journeys that here they might find comfort and strength and love and compassion to sustain them for the journey ahead. Bless all who will be serving. Bless all who will be hosting. May we know your presence in a real way in these next two weeks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to stand as you're able and let's take a moment and greet our neighbors and I encourage you to find someone you don't know. joyful noise and greeting one another. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That we might be holy and blameless before God. If you will turn in your hymnals to 173, we will sing our hymn of praise. Christ whose glory fills the skies. Christ whose glory
together our opening prayer is printed in your bulletin. God of light and truth, you are beyond our grasp or conceiving. Before the brightness of your presence, the angels veil their faces. With lowly reverence and adoring love, we acclaim your glory and sing your praise, for you have shown us your truth and love in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our first lesson comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Within two verses, God tells us how he looks at us. When they came, he looked, along, he looked on Elabib and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on our hearts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I invite our children to come forward for our time with children. Hey. Hi guys, how's it going? Hey, I'm going to tell you guys one of my favorite stories from the Bible. You ready for it? It's about a boy named David. And he grows up to be a very powerful king. But he started like a little boy, like a little kid, like all of us do. And what happened was when he was a little kid, the king saw his time was coming to a close of when he would be king. And God said to Samuel, who was the prophet, he said, Samuel, I need you to go and anoint the next king. Go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and he has many, many sons. And one of his sons will be the next king. So Samuel packed his bag, and he went to Bethlehem. And he went to the house of Jesse, and they were sheep farmers. And he said, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be king, and God's going to tell me who it is, but I need to see all of your sons so God can tell me which one will be king. So Jesse said, oh, I've got great sons. Let me show them all to you. <laughs> so he got the oldest sons. I think there were about six of them. And he brought them all before Samuel. And he said, boys, stand straight and tall and be strong and courageous. And so all of these young men, they stood straight and tall before Samuel and they made their best muscle. Can you show me your best muscle? 
said, look how powerful and strong I am. You guys aren't showing me your muscles. You got it. You got it, buddy. So Samuel looked at these, these young men who were really impressive. Any one of them could have been the next king. And Samuel looked at them, and he was tempted to say, one of these is going to be king. But God said, it's not one of these. You look on the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. And God said, there's one son who's not here. So Samuel said, is this all your sons? And Jesse said, well, I've got one more, but he's the littlest. He's the youngest, and he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel said, well, bring him in. And so he brought in little David. And little David was not big and strong. He tried to stand tall, but he was little. He was nothing compared to his brothers. But God said to Samuel, that's the one. I can see his strong and courageous heart, and he will be the next king. And so Samuel anointed David, and he grew up to be the next king. And from his ancestors came the baby Jesus. So he was a really important person in our Bible. And the story reminds us that oftentimes we want to impress others, right? Do you guys ever stand tall and strong and try to impress people? I'm short, so I do all the time. <laughs> and God, sometimes we also try to impress God by showing God how cool and awesome and good we are. Maybe you don't do that, but I do. But God reminds us that he sees our heart. And what he sees in our heart, he loves he loves us. Even when we don't feel big and strong, God loves us and calls us to great things. All right, so can you pray with me? Let's pray. Can you make your praying hands? All right, dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing who we are inside and making us into the person you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you guys want to go to Children's Church, you can go right over there where Miss Ellen is, and she'll take you to Children's Church, or you can go back to your seat with your parents. And I invite you to pray with me. Oh, God, as we come before you in these moments, we... Come seeking your presence. We are here because we want to hear a word from you, because we want to connect with you. So as we ponder your scriptures, as we ponder the depth of our faith, may you open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive whatever it is that you have to say to us today. May we be inspired and emboldened and encouraged to follow you ever more faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a woman dies. She wakes up in the afterlife where she is told that she has made it to the good place, where everything is fine. You lived an exceptional life, they tell her. On earth, you were such a good person, so now you're in the good place. Everything is fine. According to a Pew Research study in 2015, 7 out of 10 Americans would say that this accurately describes the afterlife. 70% of Americans reported believing that heaven is, quote, where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. We are, middle, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Now Streaming, 
God in the digital world, where we've been reflecting on how we can hear echoes of God's story in movies and art and music in our digital world. And so today, we're going to consider how our digital world can help us clarify and sharpen our Christian beliefs. So in 2016, a year after this Pew Research study was published, NBC aired a TV show called The Good Place. And critics have called it the smartest, dumbest show ever made. Because the show is an exploration in deep ethics and philosophy, but it's also a comedy. So you're going to hear potty humor and deep philosophy in the same sentence. Here's the premise of the show. Eleanor Shellstrop, played by Kristen Bell, dies. And she wakes up in the good place. She's told exactly what we heard a moment ago. On earth, you were such a good person. You were a devoted human rights lawyer where you earned your spot in the good place. So relax. Everything is fine. Except for Eleanor Shellstrop. Everything is not fine. Because Eleanor realizes that they have mistaken her for someone else. <laughs> On earth, she was not a human rights lawyer. She wasn't even a good person, really. In fact, she was kind of a terrible person. She made a living by selling fake medications to senior citizens. She constantly took advantage of her friends. She was selfish. She was rude. Nobody in their right mind would have called her a good person. So there she was in the good place, mistakenly there, and the whole first season is her trying to figure out how she can learn to be good so that she can fake her way into staying in the good place. <laughs> now the creator of The Good Place, his name's Michael Schur, he's been very clear that this, this TV show is not meant to be a commentary on heaven. It's meant to be a commentary on ethics. His intent is to help us think deeply about ethical questions and what might be a good ethical response in light of how complicated our world is. So the show is not meant to be a commentary on the afterlife, and still, as Christians, it gives us plenty to think about when we consider our own beliefs of life after death. So at this point, I want to show you a clip from The Good Place, from the first season, in which Michael, who is played by Ted Danson, is the architect of this Good Place neighborhood, and he explains how it is that someone earns their spot in the good place. And as you watch this clip, I invite you to consider how it relates to the Christian understanding of heaven and salvation. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You are all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you are good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares? No one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, 
we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. Michael, you earn a spot in the good place if you tally enough good points through your actions and their consequences throughout your life that weigh out the bad points. So every action and its consequences are calculated. Everything is weighed on a scale. If you have more good actions and you put more good into the world, then you're in. If you have more bad actions or you're efforts at good lead to bad, even unintended, then you're out. It's a simple formula. Now this is the prevailing view of heaven in America. Remember, seven out of 10 Americans believe this to some extent. And while it may seem very logical to our 21st century brains, it is not the Christian perspective. This is not the Christian perspective. And this is what I mean when I say that the digital world can clarify and sharpen our Christian beliefs because this show, among others, makes us think long and hard about what we actually believe as Christians and how those beliefs may be different from our prevailing culture. So as you hold Michael's good place explanation in your mind, I'm going to read to you from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 4. As you hear this passage, I invite you to consider how a Christian perspective would describe how we end up in the good place. Here's what Paul says. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so you heard the difference, right? The TV show representing the prevailing perspective in America presents heaven as something you earn by being good, by earning good points. The underlying assumption is that deep down, everyone has the ability to make good decisions that will have good consequences that will get them into the good place. It's a simple equation. Do good and you make it. Otherwise, as Michael said, don't worry about it. Well, scripture presents a very different perspective. Scripture tells us that we can never be good enough to earn our way into heaven. After all, life is complicated. And even when we think we are doing good, 
our actions often have unintended bad consequences. We've all been there before where we do something that we think is a good thing and we later find out that what we did unintentionally caused harm to someone else. When you think about life from a bird's eye view, you realize that making good decisions that produce good consequences is really, really hard. By Michael's standards, it's a wonder that anyone can make it into the good place. So I'm going to spoil the show for you. So forgive me. It's still worth watching. But spoiler alert is that the show takes a very interesting turn at the end of the first season. What we learn is that the good place is really the bad place. That Michael is a demon who created a neighborhood to torture humans with impossible ethical dilemmas. So Eleanor is not there by mistake at all. She is there to be tortured with ethical dilemmas that have no clear right or wrong. And later in the show, we find out that nobody has made it to the good place in millennia because no one is good enough to make the cut. And that's where our Christian faith has a lot to say. Because we Christians would agree. We are flawed people. We are living in a flawed world. And even when we try to make the best decision with the purest motives, we know that our consequences will not always be so good. We know that nobody can earn their way into God's kingdom because God is the only one who is truly good all of the time. We cannot earn our way into the good place. But the good news of our faith is that we don't have to earn our way into the good place at all. The good place is God's gift to us. God knows we can't earn our way there. Paul says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning even when we were like Eleanor, caught up in our selfish, broken web of our lives, even then, God chose to make us alive in Christ because he loved us that much. God made us alive through Christ, whose spirit comes to live in us, and this is pure gift. It's grace. God brings us into the good place, not so that we can boast in how good and mighty we are, but because God is just that kind. He just loves us that much. And that is what makes the message of Christianity such good news. Christianity proclaims that we are welcomed into the good place, not because of what we have done or haven't done, but because of what Christ has done for us and in us. This is what it means to be saved by grace through faith. But of course, the question always becomes, if you are saved by grace, then do you even need to live a good life? Does it matter if you're a good person? Do your choices and their consequences have anything to do with your standing in the good place? Well, this is an age-old question. I suspect this is why 7 out of 10 Americans believe that heaven is populated by good people. Because we are suspicious of the idea that someone can be a Christian and not be held responsible for their actions. And for good reason, because we can think of terrible church scandals over the last few decades that remind us that what we do matters. So here's the thing. 
Christianity has been wrestling with this question from the beginning. It's the reason James wrote his epistle. Because some were saying it doesn't matter so much what you do as long as you have faith in Jesus. And James basically said to them, that is hogwash. Here's what he wrote in his letter, chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. So to put it plainly, if we have faith in Jesus, if Jesus' spirit is living within us, then we will also have good works. Faith produces good deeds. So according to James, you cannot say you are a Christian and then go and behave however you want to, no matter the consequences, because real faith creates good works. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians when he said what we read a moment ago, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created, given new life in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, he described this concept with fancy theological terms. He referred to our imputed righteousness and our imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that is credited to the Christian. It's the righteousness of Jesus that he credits to us. So Jesus, of course, was the only human who got it right all of the time. He was the ultimate good person. He was the only one who could have ever earned a spot in the good place with good points. And Wesley taught that when we become a Christian, Jesus gives us his righteousness as a gift. So he takes away our brokenness and exchanges it for his righteousness. So in the language of the good place, this would mean that Jesus would give us all of the points that he earned while on earth. Wesley says it like this. All believers are forgiven and accepted, not for the sake of anything in them or of anything that ever was or ever can be done by them, but wholly and solely for the sake of what Christ hath done and suffered for them. This is the gift of imputed righteousness, which leads to another fancy theological word. The fruit of imputed righteousness is what Wesley called imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness is Christ's righteousness that grows in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ's righteousness that he infuses into our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that more and more he makes us into a righteous person. As Jesus works within us, we are able more and more to make good choices that have good consequences. Another word for this that we often use in Methodism is sanctification. It's the process whereby the Holy Spirit works with us and within us to make us more like Jesus. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
We are giving grace upon grace so that we can live into the fullness of who God made us to be. A reflection of Jesus in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. This is sanctification. Now, I love the show The Good Place. It raises ethical questions that makes me think very deeply about what is right and wrong and what only appears to be right or wrong. And so if you can put up with potty humor and you like deep philosophy like myself, then this show is for you. But what I mostly love about this show is it reminds me why I am a Christian. I am a Christian because I know the pain of looking at my life and its consequences and realizing that no matter how hard I have tried to be good, to make good choices, I have still made mess after mess. I know the pain of realizing that I will never add up to Michael's standards. I'm a Christian because I know that Jesus loves me for the good and the bad and everything in between. So I don't have to measure my worth by how good I am, by how many points I've earned, by how much I can impress God. I'm a Christian because I know that I am made in the image of God and that Christ wants to give me the gift of life eternal. And not only that, but Christ also wants to give me the gift of abundant life here and now. One that is full of love and joy and deep, deep purpose. So are you, if you are one of the seven in 10 Americans that think that heaven is for good people who live good lives, then I dare say that you are missing the best part of our faith. You don't have to earn your way into God's goods graces. You can just take that pressure off of yourself because God gives you his good graces as a gift. The best part of our salvation is that we are loved wholly for who we are and that we get to partner with God in reflecting Jesus to the world. We get to do good deeds because the Holy Spirit is working within us that can make our broken world a little more whole. So my hope and prayer for you, for us, is that we will know the relief of not having to earn God's favor and instead enjoy the freedom of Christ living in you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able and let us sing our hymn of response.
special day when we get to welcome two new members as baptized members of our church and also two new members as uh, members of our church. And so I invite um, Aiken and Charlotte and Quest and Harper and their great-grandfather, um, Reverend Bernard Villa, is a retired pastor in the Virginia Conference, and he is also here to celebrate and share in this very special day. So I ask you, um, I have just a couple questions to ask as we prepare for this gift of baptism. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. I do. do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. If so, say, I do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say, I will. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and they who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness, that dying and being raised with Christ they may share in his final victory. Quest Aiken, we baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Quest Aiken, may the power of the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born by water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus all of your life. And Quest Aiken, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Amen. Can I hold you? Nope. <laughs> Harper Eva Starr, we baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Harper Eva Starr, may the Holy Spirit work within you that being born by water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ all the days of your lives. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Amen. And now we're going to take a walk, and you can meet your new family who love you and will support you and will care for you, and we're going to sing a song. You ready?
Today we also get the privilege of welcoming Quest and Harper's parents as members of our church. So Charlotte and Aiken, I have two more questions for you. As members of Christ Universal Church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? If so, say, I will. And as members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say, I will. Let us pray for you. Oh God, we give you thanks for this wonderful family that you have brought into this family of faith. For the love that they share, for the witness they offer, for the gifts that they bring for the beautiful work you are doing in them and through them. We give you thanks and praise. May we love them and welcome them and uphold them as members of your family, that together we might grow more and more into your likeness and grow more and more in our service to you through our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have gifts for the children. I welcome you to a sacred time where together, as one, we lift our prayers to the Lord. As we turn to God in prayer, are there names that you wish to speak aloud? Let us pray. We come, Father, with praise and adoration for who you are. You're a good, good father. It's who you have always been, it is who you are, and who you will always be. In great humility, we recognize your goodness, your holiness, your compassion, and your love, and we stand amazed that you created us in your image. In the light of your love, O oh God, we acknowledge the many things on our minds and the concerns and worries we've carried with us into worship today. We pause and pray silently for those on our minds and in our hearts. We confess that we easily get caught up in the grip of busyness, demands, and commitments. When you've told us over and over again to take your yoke, it is easy. We pause and pray silently for wisdom and discernment in our decision-making. We confess that we allow anxiety and fret to reign over us when you are the calm in all the storms. We pause and pray silently for peace in these matters. We confess we let cynicism lock us up and keep us from engaging with each other when your command is to love one another. We pause and pray silently for purer, softer hearts, eager and ready to love others more. We 
We confess that we allow things to frustrate us and wear us out when you alone are sovereign, working out a good plan for all who love you. We pause and pray silently for greater faith. Lord, you have heard our confessions and our prayers. Please forgive us. Forgive us when we forget whose we are, that we are yours, created in your image. Forgive us and set us free from a past that we cannot change, so we might be open to a future which can be changed. By your grace, enable us to be open to the healing and the humor and the hope of this day. Today and in the week before us, set us free to live fully as your beloved people, working alongside you for your transformation of this world. In this world, in our country, in our communities, in our church, in our homes. Open our eyes to your presence. Use us to help those in need. Call us to comfort those who are alone. Equip us to share the good news of your son. Mold us into followers who desire to be like you. Give us courage to speak truth and do right. Reconcile us, your church, one to another. Incline your ear towards us, Lord, and hear us as we pray the prayer you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we prepare to welcome families with family promise, as we invite you to consider tutoring with Samia's day unit dad, I'm reminded of the many ways that we are in mission, that we are serving, that we are creating partnerships and sharing the love of God in so many ways. And the only way that is possible is through your gifts of time, service, and your financial offerings as well, that Together, we make that work possible through the Holy Spirit working with us. So as you give today, give with glad and generous hearts, knowing that you are part of a community of faith that is truly seeking to offer grace and love and forgiveness and caring for those in our midst. Oh. 
the many gifts you give us, Lord, we give thanks. May we come returning just a portion with joy and with open hands so that your work may continue to be done in this place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're not standing. <laughs> you can't be seated when we sing this song. We're going to sing our closing song when we all get to heaven, 701. Amen. Amen.